So welcome everybody to another panel, uh, well-being panel. And we're here to answer your well-being questions. So thank you guys for joining me tonight. This is excellent, I'm very excited. So I will introduce uh, Cherie Hansen first. Uh, Cherie Hansen is of spiritual counseling. She's a psychic initiative, intuitive, oh my goodness, sorry about that. A psychic intuitive, life coach, academic, artist, writer, light worker, uh, she says her channel has helped her transform lives, teach how to raise client signature vibration, and how to tr transform the body. All is one. All is energy. There is nothing to fear. Her channel has helped her transform lives, teach clients how to raise their signature vibration, and transform their bodies. All is one. All is energy. There is nothing to fear. Welcome, Cherie. Hi. <laughs> Uh, next, we have Deanna. Is it Zine or Zine? Zine, yeah. Zine, okay, good. Uh, Deanna is a registered counselor, anxiety, and weight loss coach. I love what she puts on her website. She says, Today I am the CEO of not only a successful company, but my life. And you are too. Have you ever looked at your life in that way? You are the CEO, and you, and you get to run your company, AKA your life, in absolutely any way you want. You get to choose who you allow into your life, how they get to treat you, and when the circumstances don't serve you, your happiness, or the story you want to write about your life, you get to call the shots. I love that. Welcome, Deanna. Thank you. <laughs> and our last pa panelist is Maggie Ray. So Maggie Ray of, of Light Ray Communication. Soul streaming coach Maggie Ray helps people to discover experience and express the power of their true self in daily life. She will help you break through conditioning that kept you small as you transform mental, emotional, and physical discomfort into valuable energy to direct, rejuvenate, and enhance your life in all of your relationships. As a professional hypnotherapist, speaker, writer, and teacher, Maggie works with individuals and groups around the world. She utilizes somatic release therapy, sound therapy, emotional freedom technique, current and past life regeneration therapy, and creative expression opportunities to give you the confidence to finally be you, be real and be free. Welcome, Maggie. Hey, thank you. Great to have you here. Oh, such a pleasure to be here. That's yeah. awesome. So the first question we're going to ask everybody is, <laughs> what do you do for your own personal self-care? So we'll start with Sheree. What do you do for your own personal self-care? Okay, I have my Fitbit. My Fitbit tells me how much REM sleep and how much deep sleep I got in the, uh, that night. REM sleep is to bring down the inflammation in my brain. Deep sleep is to heal my body. The next thing I do is stand naked in front of a mirror and I talk to my body and I say, look at you. You heal everything. You mm -hmm. are so strong. You are, thank you for, keeping me in this life for so long and for allowing me to move forward. Um, I have built habits. Uh, I never eat fast food. I never eat, uh, you know, just that one thing. So I built these very um, Protestant rigid habits around food that serve me very, very well. And uh, mindfulness practices really helped me tremendously. I used to read as 55 with all my blood, uh, bone density, saliva, and urine tests. Last summer, I read as 35 with my bone density as wow. a 20-year-old. And three doctors are blown away by the fact that because I came into a loving relationship with my body, my body came in to say, let me fix that for you, sweetheart. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that. Thank you. Deanna, what do you do for your personal self-care? Oh, so a little, a little similar. So daily habits are really important. Um, like you said, so waking up, um, gratitude and journaling um, every morning, kind of setting intentions, staying focused on um, different tasks for the day. Um, exercise is first and foremost, and it's for my mind. It is for my body and for keeping, you know, for keeping it moving and feeling 
feeling strong, feeling limber (laughs) as I'm getting older. Um, That's been a big part, but, and, but for my mind, for my mind, it's mainly right after exercise, just how I feel mentally. So that's a huge one. Um, Really being in tune with um, hustle and flow, I guess you could call it. So hustling, working hard, but recognizing when it's time to take it back, chill out, not do work today, you know, lay and watch a show or read a book or whatever that may be. So really being in tune and not allowing myself to go past that threshold. Um, what else? Yeah, um, same, same sort of thing, not as rigid with my diet. I believe in like intuitive health. And if I'm craving something Um, sweet I will allow myself because I don't want to overindulge later because I've restricted myself so kind of being mindful about listening to my body what am I craving what is it needing Um, how does foods make me feel once you know um, you know checking in that's part of my morning journaling is checking in the next day on how the foods from yesterday are treating my body today and then adjusting what I need to do so yeah just awareness I think is a really big part of my self-care is being really in tune with how I'm feeling and where I need to make adjustments. So, yeah, it's awesome. Thank you. And Maggie, what do you do for your personal self-care? Well, I was just thinking as you were talking, I was having a drink. This this actually is water, not wine, but I do like to have a lot of fun for my self-care. That would be the number one thing for me. I love to play. I love my paints. I love to dance. I love to drum. I love to sing whether everybody else loves it when I sing or not and just to let that energy stream through I mean that's why I I said this is what I love to do is to allow my own inner self soul to stream right through and to be able to break through the conditioning so I take good care of allowing myself to do that and so I really notice when my emotional setbacks or the problem the issues come up if anger or frustration or whatever arises I've learned how to feel it to heal it release it let it go rather than shove it down let it fester or project it out on someone else and blame it so I find that those things are pretty much the most important things I'm pretty good at watching my no I'm not really pretty good at watching my I like food but um yeah, it's it's wholesome. It's whole food. I and Sheree, I don't know if I got the courage to stand in front of the mirror, but if I get to have the same kind of body and enthusiasm that you have, <laughs> then I will give it a shot. <laughs> I admire your self-discipline, Deanne. It's easy after you build a habit. That's all you have to do. <laughs> you know, our bodies are pretty incredible. I do thank my body regularly too. So it's amazing yeah. what it does for us. It's just mind-boggling yeah I I also do a lot of uh, breathing activations which have been easier for me to do than just meditation because my mind is pretty busy mind most of the time and so I found with the breathing activations I get the oxygen flowing through and I get to center myself and ground myself and yes it's really quite blissful by the time I've finished with a breathing activation and set on my day. That's awesome. Were you going to say something, Deanna? Uh, oh, about um, how we're saying grateful for our bodies, how you can change them. And you know how you are, you talk really nicely to your body, your body will change if you talk nicely to it instead of berating it every single day, you know, so and so the fact that you do that and treat it with kindness, it will respond. Yeah, I, I liked what you had to say about that. Yeah, I, I, kind of, I kind of liken it to um, a mother in a household with, uh, you know, out of control children. You can clean, you can put things in order, but if your mind is coming in and trashing it, then it's yeah. not, it, it gets tired of cleaning itself up. It gets tired of repairing itself. You're just going to wreck me anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way of looking at it. I like that. That's awesome. Well, I have a series of questions for you guys that I've gathered from various uh, various sources. So uh, I know there's a lot of people that'd be curious to see how uh, what, what your answers are. So we'll start with Cherie. Cherie, uh, I am having anxiety about putting my son in kindergarten. How, how should I handle this? Okay, first of all, um, anytime you're having anxiety, as Maggie pointed out so wisely, 
you can do the interruption breath, which changes your biochemical response, uh, calms your amygdala down, and it starts activating your prefrontal lobes. And you can get access to that on YouTube. I have a breathing session every Thursday night, live stream, because we think we're um, caught in this feeling and it's simple maintenance. There is a way to change the biochemicals being released in your brain, in your body with an interruption breath. And then you can get yourself into a place where you feel calm. Now, the, the compounding of this issue is your child is being taught to be anxious. If they see you being anxious about them making a change or growing, then they are patterning being anxious if they're ever trying something new. So it's very important that we learn to uh, stop that trigger response in ourselves because I mean, you guys that have dogs know it. As soon as you get into that anxious place, you, your dog get, starts to go crazy because they catch the energy. Yeah, for sure. Thank you, that's great advice. Uh, so Deanna, I'm tired of losing weight, gaining weight, losing weight, gaining weight. How can I stop once and for all? <laughs> well, anybody who follows me knows to ditch the diet. Stop restricting yourself because what you're doing every time you restrict yourself, and again, it goes back to the brain, what she just said, it's a natural instinct for the brain to want food. It doesn't want to starve. So it's always going to um, go back and try and get what it's not getting. So every time you restrict, um, you're just going to, you're going to end in a binge, um, whether or not, like, however long that might be, but that's the problem with it. And so you're going to, you're going to restrict and you go on the next diet and then you have your, um, you know, you have your last supper on every diet, right? So, okay, tomorrow I'm going back. So I'm going to empty out the entire house. So if you can imagine what that's doing, you know, um, messing with your metabolism every time you do this, the weight cycling, it's really bad for your health. So, um, I mean, in a nutshell, you got to let go of, you got to let go of the dieting. Um, you have to be in tune with your body. So like I was saying earlier in tune, like I'm in tune with the foods that I'm eating, what am I craving? Because if you eat something that you craving in a tiny amount, you're not going to want to binge on it later. Sometimes just taking the rules away makes it, you not want it as much. So again, with dieting and having to be so rigid and having to give up so many things, so many pleasures in your life, that in itself um, can cause you to just completely fall off. Um, a lot of people I work with are all or nothing. You're either on or off. There is no middle ground. So that's key is finding a middle ground, finding where, um, you know, you're, you're not fluctuating. You're listening to your body. You're not overeating. You're not under eating. You're just, many people don't even know when they're, um, hungry or, or full you, you eat because you, it's time to eat, right? Cause it, you know, we're supposed to eat lunch, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Like you're just, you're not even hungry sometimes and you eat or at social events, you, you just continue to eat. You're not even listening to when you're full. So yeah, becoming really in tune with your hunger and your fullness, stopping halfway through your meal. Do I need to continue? Like just things like that. So again, just, um, creating awareness in your body, I think would be very key and ditching all the rules and all the restrictions. Sure in a nutshell, there's a lot to it, but that would be <laughs> one of the main, biggest main point. I'm sure that, that would be very relieving to a lot of people hearing that because there's so many things on social media. You have to do this. You have to do this. You have to do this and it can be overwhelming. 80% mm -hmm. of diets will end in a binge eating episode. Yeah. And shame, right? Yeah. And yeah, you live with all of the shame, the guilt. Yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, Maggie. I can't seem to get my kids to stop gaming. Is this going to hurt them in their future? Wow. Maybe that's an interesting big question. question. I think that that's one of the big things. I have parents who have told me um, that they feel like their kids have been hijacked by technology and that things have completely changed. In fact, one client not very long ago had a 17-year-old and an 11-year-old. And she said the 11-year-old 
felt it felt like everything had been hijacked with that. So yeah, it's a it's actually it's an addiction. It's looking for happiness outside of myself and getting hooked on thinking that something out there is going to make me feel better now because I don't like what I'm feeling lots of times. I mean, I'm not saying it doesn't start out as a just a, a thrill and I'm sure it is. I'm actually not a gamer, so I can't even relate to what that's about. But I do know that watching too much of anything like in our society, we've become such observers. We just watch. We, we don't participate. We're not getting involved in things. And we're just, we're losing those connections in the brain. And the connections in the brain are very different when we're hooked into any kind of technology than they are when we're just enjoying nature. So, yeah, I would say there is reason for some concern there and to try to go out and have as much fun as you can in other ways and I know that's not always easy with kids who are hooked on the other but I will say that I've worked with people who when television was a very very big deal and they couldn't get the kids off they they cut the kids off a of ch- uh, television for a weekend and by Sunday they were saying it was the best weekend they ever had so there's a huge discomfort that one goes through but we need to be able to return children to their own authority, not to be buying into what's going on out there and to the authority that comes from a relationship that's meaningful with our kids. I love that, their own authority. That's so good. Thank you very much, that's great. So Sheree, I get so irritated when I have to spend time with my father-in-law. He isn't a nice person and isn't very nice to my wife, but she insists we spend time with him. What can I do? This drives me crazy. You need to entertain him. Mm. If he likes fly fishing, ask him for his wisdom and his expertise. This is what politicians do. Mm. It's called graceful communication. You don't go head to head. You don't try to change the other person. You try to find a place where there is a flow of energy between the two of you. Maybe they like, maybe he likes dogs. Maybe he's an expert on, uh, you know, Grant and the Civil War. So what you do then is you become what I call the geisha. You know, (laughs) you're there. To find a way to entertain them and make them feel special. Mm. So recognize that even though he's grumpy, he has information. He can teach you something. He is a source of something. And it's your job to be in a living, a loving relationship with him and to find out, uh, you know, I don't know anything about carburetors. Can you show me where those are in an engine? Yeah, and it's amazing when you hit that with a person, they light up, they get happy, they feel good about themselves. And what happens is the mirror effect. They feel good about you. Wow, I love that. And it's called grace language. Is that what you said? Graceful language. Graceful language. I love that. That's great. Good tip. What diplomats I've never, do. Diplomats. I've never heard that before. Awesome. Uh, Deanna. Do you, do you think it is still possible for me to dream, uh, achieve my dream still and do an Ironman at 72? I'm fairly active and in decent shape, but I haven't even so really, I haven't really started seriously training yet. I would have to do an assessment for sure. Um, I think if the will is there and the body is physically capable, of course, anybody can do anything. I mean, I don't think it's ever too late to try and achieve something, but Again, I don't know where that person would be physically, like, so how they're starting out. But um, like if somebody's in good shape and healthy and yeah, absolutely. I don't think it's ever too late to begin begin anything that you want to achieve like that. Um, again, will the body allow, <laughs> right? Um, so I, I would absolutely have to assess somebody to see where they're so at. Would you recommend that they work with somebody like you to help guide them on, on that journey? I absolutely can. Yeah. So um, 
because I would, I'm a personal trainer and um, with the counseling. So it goes really well. So helping with the mindset um, around being, you know, your beliefs about being able to, your, your core beliefs about yourself, maybe some, um, some mindset stuff gets in the way about believing that you can actually accomplish it. And then also, you know, working with, um, you know, the strength and the postural things and like specific, you know, cardio training, not pushing yourself too hard, monitoring all of that. So yeah, absolutely. That's something that I could work awesome. with. Sure. It's amazing yeah. what some people can achieve, eh? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I love seeing older people um, so active. That's my favorite thing is seeing that people are still moving their bodies and because it's so key, right? Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you guys have done the grouse grind, but like going up there and I've seen three-year-olds hiking up that thing. And then I've seen 90-year-olds hiking and it's just amazing. It's like every, anybody can, right? So it's just a matter of keep moving, <laughs> move it or lose it, right? So yeah, I love it. Absolutely. That's fantastic. Thank you. Maggie, my daughter is in grade four and has some very mean girls bullying her all the time. Should I get the school and parents involved? I don't want to make a misstep. Well, well, sometimes you will have to get the school and parents involved because bullying can really be a serious issue. But the very most important thing when it comes to helping a child deal with any kind of bullying is that we have a pathway open to that child. That child feels like it's okay to be able to talk about what's going on in her day. And lots of times kids who are bullied don't want to talk. You got to actually read the signs. You got to watch that they're you know, are they avoiding you when they come in? Are they like, what's going on for them? And if you feel that that is so, and you want to start to create a relationship with your child, because your relationship with your child is the most important thing to help her get through any kind of bullying. And basically the parent's relationship with the child is the number one determinator of the child's self-esteem and what they can do and where they can go when they pull up their self-esteem. So if we start, if I am concerned about my child, I'm going to first really start to watch her carefully, notice what's going on, see if there's any weird things, she taking money to school for somebody or, you know, what's going on. And then to be able to really connect with her. And sometimes connecting means, it's funny, I, you know, I, um, one parent, we were talking about this and she says, my child, he just won't talk to me, won't do anything. And he was a teenager. Yeah. And we talked about just watching the body language and being quiet and actually tuning into their body language with our body language to open that connection. And so uh, she came back the next week and she said, oh man, my kid talked more in, in, in one week than he's talked in 15 years. Mm -hmm because when he came in the door, she had a milkshake ready for him and he sat down and had his milkshake like this. And instead of going, come on, cheer up, we got to fix the situation, things can't be that bad, which was sort of her tendency to do that. She sat down with her milkshake and was quiet and just waited and didn't try to fix him, didn't try to do, to do any, all she was there was to listen, to solely listening. So that aspect of being able to listen to anybody who's troubled, and especially our children, if we, even if they're not troubled, to be able to listen without trying to fix, to be able to accept and open that up so it's not locked inside them. That's probably the most important thing. And then to give them authority over their own life. I mean, one of the things that I'm adamant about is that it's not about controlling children. And there's lots of programs that will tell you how to control children. It's about empowering children to find their own authority. And I think that's the most important thing. I think that's what we're up against in everything right now is taking back our own authority. And so there are certainly ways that I can still be mom and be open, be listening, be watching for my child and encouraging her to be her own authority and also opening the doors for what's going on at school, what's going on with the bullying because my relationship with her would help more than anything else. Oh, that's awesome. That's amazing. I love the milkshake story. That's such a good <laughs> thing to think about for sure. Observation I have to bring since I did teach for 30 years 
is it's very important, even if nothing comes of it, for you to report it because your child isn't the only one that is being damaged and bullied. And you need to get that on record because you need paperwork if you're gonna get the system to click in and do what it needs to do to protect. I didn't know that, thanks, thanks Cherie for that. That's, that's great, great information. So uh, Cherie, I feel like the weather impacts how I feel. Could this be true? Oh God, yeah. Uh, the, the, uh, the clients that I'm talking to right now, one of the first things I tell them is my mother was a lab nurse for many years. And she said, in February, we get more tests to see if somebody's sick or why they feel like crap than we do in the other 11 months of the year. So <laughs> I'm very careful with my clients and going, you know, it's February. <laughs> you know, because they take it all personally. It's like, I don't know what's wrong with me, why I don't feel like I'm at Mardi Gras. Oh, wait a minute, that was canceled. So, you know, they're in a place where they need to give themselves space to be human. And once you give them space to be human, then they're not attacking themselves in their head. You know, of course, I feel like I want to throw a rock through my neighbor's window. They're so irritating and I haven't seen the sun for two weeks because I'm human, not because I'm a monster. <laughs> We're just animals. That's interesting that the lab tech mom, hey, there's more in February than <laughs> February. Buckle up, baby, it's February. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, that's great. Uh, Deanna, I often feel overwhelmed and that causes me not to sleep. It is a vicious cycle. Help. Okay. A couple different things. So overwhelms, we feel it physiologically. So like arousal in our body. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to say it's a lot to do with your, your mindset. Again, the thoughts in your head, your beliefs. So um, we'd look at both. So in terms of overwhelm, what you know, how am I feeling? We'll, we'll look at the, you know, what, um, where I'm feeling overwhelmed, which area of my life and uh, kind of this, the story inside my head about what's happening, uh, the belief about how in control I am of it, because a lot of people feel that they don't have control over it. But once we kind of work through that, they recognize that there is quite a bit of things that they can control where they don't feel that they can. Um, so even some that in itself helps people feel less overwhelmed, um, thought work, lots and lots of thought work. So um, again, looking at some distortions that they may have and beliefs around, around what's happening um, and then helping with, I call it, so there's the emergency kit. So that's the stuff for the physiological arousal. So that's gonna be the, the breathing, the meditation, um, you know, relaxation, uh, muscle relaxation. Exercise is a really big one for an outlet for overwhelm. So all of that, type of things. We'll look at the, the nighttime sleep pattern. So what am I doing right before bed? You know, am I, am I having an argument with somebody? Am I stressing about, you know, uh, what's happened in my day? Or am I taking that time to shut down, uh, focus on the goodness of the day, focus on, you know, looking forward to other things, that type of thing. And then um, doing some things to relax the mind before bed. Breathing is a really good one. Uh, meditation, reading, anything like that. So kind of two things. I, I help with the physiological aspects, like getting your body to just relax. And then uh, the story inside your head. That's very common. Like pretty much a lot of my work is um, what you believe because two different things can make you feel very differently, right? So just, just in terms of um, if you're overwhelmed about what you have to do the next day, just getting people to see it in a different light. Like, are, are, am I overgeneralizing and my thinking that because you know one I had an argument with somebody at work over this particular project or something I'm always going to have a argument you're just overgeneralizing because it happened once it's always going to happen that's kind of one distortion 
uh, black and white thinking can make you feel very overwhelmed. So the idea that there is no, you know, um, looking at all your all your projects in like a big lump sum, whereas we can break it down and make it into smaller projects and not feel not as overwhelming. Uh, fortune telling, that's a big one. People predict the future negatively based on the information. So that can cause overwhelm. So again, looking at all the distorted, the what ifs, what if this happens, that can feel very scary. So yeah, working with the, the thoughts and working through it and kind of um, coming up with a different story, challenging those thoughts and bringing that down. Thank you, that's great. Uh, Maggie, I am terrible at giving presentations at work. I get so nervous, talk too fast and feel sick to my stomach. I practice and practice, but that doesn't seem to help at all. Fear of public speaking, especially in front of our peers, is supposedly greater than the fear of death. So, um, you know, I, it's the fear of all that judgment around us. And so I would say the best way to get around that is to actually take the time to find a group that allows you to speak your mind and speak from your heart so that without a lot of judgment attached to it. And that's one of the things that I've been working with in my communication circles for, I don't know, five or six, seven years now. And it's amazing because we provide a space where people can come and speak and they know that they are going to have attentive and non-judgmental and appreciative listeners because people are taught how to respond in that way and how to look for what we appreciate. So it becomes a place where to build confidence in public speaking, you can't go do it in the closet. <laughs> you know, you just can't. <laughs> I don't care how big your mirror is or whatever else, it's not gonna happen. It's got to be with other people. So Toastmasters is also a, a, something that helped me in the early years in public speaking. So there are, people out there who are groups who are willing to help. And I really feel like unless you have a, I don't even think I could set it up with my family to say, hey, I want, I want some help with this because family's family. It's, it's about finding that space, at least finding some friends that you can share the, what it is that you want to be speaking to your coworkers about and be able to hear yourself say it out loud because when it's running around in here inside the head that's really really difficult or write it all out then we're not present with people when we speak and people will call you on that if you're not present they don't think you're genuine so if i go and and have everything lined up and then i read it well i don't have the connection with these people that i want to have, especially if I'm in a supervisory position and I want to have more influence with them, that influence comes from connecting. So I got to connect first with me, <sighs> get my body relaxed, feel, get clear on what it is that I want to say, and then share from my heart with them. And if possible, go and find a place to practice. And you can always check out on my website, my communication circles. I actually have some coming up. So it's just my name, MaggieRay.com. Yeah. And I can, I can attest to the communication circles. I did one with you and it was great. And I do a lot of speaking. So I, I learned and grew from that too. It's, it's really a great experience. So totally recommend it. It's fantastic. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for that, Maggie. Uh, Cherie, I got divorced three years ago and I can't move on. What can I do? Okay, um, the can't move on thing is usually leftover childhood trauma. Um, what happens is under the age of seven, when we are traumatized in our attachment area, in our bonding area, um, we get into a state where we actually become addicted to the drama of it. So people who are telling the old story, uh, when I'm coaching, I say, it's kind of like somebody got hit by a bus when they were 10 and they're still laying in the street 
as a 50 year old. <laughs> now, I hate Dr. Phil. <laughs> but when he says you're getting something out of it, he's dead right. You have a wound, you have uh, abandonment issues, you have a deep-seated feeling that you're not lovable. And so what you then do is you grab onto the drama. And unfortunately, our society loves drama. It's like cocaine, you know? You go sit in a coffee shop and listen to people doing drama with one another. You know, oh, I broke a fingernail. Oh, my dog died. Oh, you know, my husband totaled my car. It's one-upmanship. And we use it as um, a social currency because if I am a victim and if I'm doing drama, People are gonna to run toward me and they're gonna throw their arms around me and they're gonna cuddle me and they're gonna give me. And the problem is that we are in a state which is uh, like, a, you know, like a roundabout that has no exit. So what I tell my clients is I have them look at when we're being triggered and caught in this kind of cycle. What is this just like in your childhood under the age of seven? What is it absolutely a mirror of something under the age of seven? And then if we can look at that, we get an understanding that, oh, the reason I can't let go of it is because I've never seen it before and it's run my whole life. So I, I am someone who's unlovable. I am someone who is abandoned. I am someone who's not treated fair. I am a victim. It's great when it presents because that's a moment you can help the client. Because they go like, oh God, I have so, I mean, this is just, and you go, good, now let's look at it and make it stop. Let's get out of the roundabout. Let's get out of the drama addiction. Let's get out of the dance of the victim and get to a place where you're not fighting the same battle. The battle is done and you lost it. <laughs> so it doesn't do any good, you know? And the bus hit you, but laying in the street isn't gonna do a damn thing for your body, your health, your, your sense of contentment with life. So this is when you go deep. There are moments you can teach. And unfortunately in life, those moments you can teach are usually around when the pain is so great, you don't want it anymore. You know, it's, it's like physical fitness. I'm all I can do, I can't get up from a chair. Okay, is that as far down as you wanna go? Let's work on it now. So you can get out of it. But our whole culture is addicted to drama. We love how somebody else suffers and struggles and they get so much reward for it. Here, let me buy you a coffee, sweetie. And, oh, come over here. You know, instead of getting into why is this happening? What is the wound? What's the scarring? Now let me look at it and leave it behind. That's great. Thank you. I like the roundabout. Yeah. <laughs> there any street here? No? How did I get here? <laughs> uh, so Deanna, what do I do with my with a husband that doesn't listen to anything I say? I am tired of feeling invisible. Okay. Uh, so obviously looking at the communication styles, uh, how... How are you delivering the message? How are you asking for that um, to, to be heard, uh, right? Are you talking in how, how you're feeling or is it coming off as something that he's gonna be defensive about? Because if it's something that people feel like they need to put their guard up, they're going to, they're not going to listen. They're just gonna right away get into uh, defensive mode. Um, so always looking at the delivery 
um, helping them get really clear on how they are feeling because if they don't get to be heard um, sometimes they don't even they lose track of even how they're feeling because they don't get to express it so really um, owning in on that uh, yeah looking at helping um, them deliver and working with the four horsemen it's called the four um, ways of communication that just really don't work in relationships and identifying if those are being used so using contempt uh, using defensiveness, stonewalling, those types of things. So um, we work a lot with that kind of communication. And yeah, um, of course, allowing them to be heard in the room. And, um, you know, really, uh, once people start to talk about it open like, like that, um, they feel more comfortable delivering the message and really opening up to, to their partner. So, yeah. I've never heard that four horsemen before. So what is a content? So contempt, um, criticism. So sometimes we criticize when we're trying to get a message across, right? You'll criticize your partner. Uh, stonewalling. So that's just obviously, we know that one, just not addressing the problem at all, just walking away um, and then becoming defensive. So if you're, yeah, if you're becoming defensive right now, you're just not listening to your partner. Um, yeah. So the four horsemen, they just really are like the culprits in communication that really prevent you from having positive relationships and communication yeah that's great I like that that's a that's a good one uh, Maggie my boss is very scary and hard to approach this makes uh, for a very uncomfortable work environment for me help mm. well whenever something scares us it's important to recognize what's been triggered mm -hmm. and when I'm scared, usually I'm waiting for somebody else, my boss, to change. I can't approach him. I can't. And then I keep looking through those eyes of fear at my boss and thinking, how can I? I don't know how to. And then I work myself into this whole thing in my head. What's really important is that we find a way to release the emotion. Because when we are nervous about approaching somebody, afraid we're gonna be judged or whatever, that emotion is actually held in the body. And an emotion held in the body can have up to you know a thousand thoughts, patterns that are swirling around it. And most people are trying to figure out in their head what to do. How do I get his attention? How do I get what I need? How do I, it, but the very first thing is to say, okay, here's a trigger. Where is it in the body? Take it to the body. Breathe into that trigger in the body. 75% of pain physically and emotionally is because we resist feeling it. So that it's, it kind of goes back to what you were saying, Cherie, as well. Like, where does this pattern start? Is this person an authority figure, etc.? Because it can take us back to our childhood or somewhere else that this pattern of being afraid of that kind of personality or trying to get a word in edgewise is originating. And so in my work, I also work with hypnotherapy and we actually go right back there. We don't necessarily try to figure out where it is in the mind. That's a great question you had, Cherie, where else did you hear this? But lots of times we don't know. So if I actually really tune into that feeling and I have somebody helping me too, then I can go back and I, it's, people land in the oddest of times, in, in the strangest places, places that didn't seem like they were a big deal to the adult looking back, but to the child who couldn't have that doll in the window, it was a big deal and it set up a pattern. So we don't know exactly where those patterns come from, but if we can, first of all, catch it, know it's about us. It's not about changing him because you can't do that anyway. So it's about me. It's about me having an opportunity to release a fear that I've been holding for a long time and using my body and using, there's lots of tools for the body from EFT to breathing um, release tools to acupressure. There's lots of tools that we can release from the body, but feel it to heal it. Mm -hmm. Once that's done, then the whole situation is likely to shift because we'll be looking through different eyes. And if, if it is a pattern, find, see if you can identify where it's coming from. 
uh, or follow it back in terms of the emotion itself. Feel it in, and find out where's that coming from. And just let that come up and heal that younger child who first developed that fear in that kind of a relationship. And then the adult today will be empowered because it's, you know, as we take just one element, it's like breaking the chain link. And we don't, if we look at all of them and we have to wipe them all out, it, it's going to be overwhelming. But if we say, ah, oh, that's triggered me now, I'm going to release it, follow it back if I can, release it from there, the whole chain falls apart. That'd be awesome, man. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so exciting to see that actually. It's so incredible. It's just big high. <laughs> Thank you. Cherie, how do how do people how do you work with people? Like what do you do with people? Um, what I do first of all is I fly over. So let's say I've got a client, I had one today, she lives in India. I don't know her, I know nothing about her. So I sit really quietly and I and I actually I all I can say is I fly over her and I read her energy and I can see um, her guides behind her a woman the other day I saw her dead brother behind her and he was trying to get a message to her um, I can see the trauma where it's held in the body sometimes I will feel their physical afflictions in my body. Uh, somebody who had an ovarian cyst, I was getting a lot of pain in that right side. And she said, yeah, I have a cyst there. I said, you, you got to get in and look at that. So that's the first bit. And then the next bit is I teach them, as Maggie was taking you through this, <coughs> that 97% of our thoughts we know from putting people in an MRI um, come from under the age of seven. They originate from the hypnagogic part of the mind, which is the story we lived before we had words. So I teach them how this is imprinted and it's not their fault. Of course you feel this way. And I think that the point where people really start to fall in love with themselves more is when I say to them, if you feel it, it's true. Because this is where people really hurt themselves. I don't know why I have so much anger toward my sister. And well, how do you feel? I feel she's cruel to me. Okay. So she was cruel to you. She, what? And I'm like, yeah, what you're feeling is, is the result of an actual truth that you went through as a child, but you haven't allowed yourself to feel it. You haven't allowed yourself to honor it. Um, you've made yourself the guilty party in this. And so this is, and I'm sure you guys are used to this term. This is part of soul retrieval which it means the part of ourselves that we, we just encase in this underground prison of stone. I don't like the way I felt when I was three, so I'm not gonna have that three-year-old in my soul field or my energy field. I'm gonna put her in the tomb with a rock in front of it. And so this process of allowing the feelings, as Maggie has said so clearly, Get in touch with the feelings and know that that little hurt child needs you to validate her feelings and bring her home. And Thich Nhat Hanh is the best teacher for this. He talks about in our society, if, if we have grief or anger um, or, or deep sadness or pain, it's like we take a baby and put it in another room, turn the lights out, and shut the door and walk away. So he said, what the culture has to learn is when you feel that baby screaming in pain, you pick it up in your arms and you comfort it and you validate it. 
yeah, that hurts. You really hurt. And then what happens is you bring that part of yourself home to your personality. So you're now a complete being. And it makes you kinder. Very true, very true. And how, how can people find you? Um, I, I have a, a Facebook page where I'm getting some people who are coming to me that way. Um, most of it is referral now. I've got people in Prague and India and California, San Francisco, you, you know, they're, they're just, they have a friend. And the thing that has been so wonderful for me lately is I'm getting the people that need me now. They have decided to kill themselves. They have decided that life is too hard. They're in too much pain. Um, they are in a place of such great despair and blackness uh, that, you know, they're saying, well, I thought I'd get a hold of you, but, you know, I, I can at least say I tried. And it's so exciting when I teach them how the brain works and how the things they're feeling are absolutely true. It takes all the pressure off. Mm -hmm. Yes, you're in despair. Let's look at what happened to you under the age of seven. Let's look at your wounding. Let's look at how that has scarred you. And let's make a plan for how you can be the glorious person. And this is the thing I see, I believe with every client. There is nothing wrong with you. And I honestly see that. And that helps me when I'm dealing with them because I can see who they are literally as an undamaged person. I have this overlay vision. I can see their energy. And some people who think they're just horrible are sparkles. <laughs> no, I'm just going, no, no, you got yourself wrong. <laughs> you're, just, you're just a sparkle that's wanting to sparkle. That's all. <laughs> So let's make a plan and get back to who you came in to be. And that's, that's how I know. I'm sorry, I've been so long, but I'm really enthusiastic. about. <laughs> it. I don't let them get away with anything. You can imagine. <laughs> They'll tell me some story that doesn't ring true. And I'll go, ah, no. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Thanks, Sheree. Uh, Deanna, how do you work with people? Uh, so it depends on the individual person, what they're coming with, what their struggles are, their symptoms. But um, for anxiety, uh, first and foremost, again, is getting to the, the story, looking at their cognitive distortions. Um, yeah, how they're processing information, their perceptions, uh, go through a little bit of history with their relationships, kind of what they've learned, um, not so much as under seven, but kind of on the... Um, we do a little lifeline project to kind of see where they learned certain things and what they've learned. You know, have they learned, um, you know, people are untrustworthy that, you know, uh, did they have a lot of loss in their life? So they, they believe now that relationships are unsafe. We look at stuff like that. Um, so I kind of create a, a lifeline and we look at all the events over their life that were positive and negative and kind of what they've what they've learned. Uh, we look at core beliefs big time. Um, so what you believe about yourself and others. Um, am I worthy of love? Am I worthy of success? Um, am I a trusting person? Can I trust others? Just kind of the really deep core beliefs. And then we start to work with the reality of that and get them to see it in a different light. So that's kind of the anxiety, stress, uh, depression. It works really well with depression too, because they see things um, in, a, in distorted ways, right? They only see it one way. Um, so that would be the anxiety, kind of a little bit of a process. Um, weight loss, it's identifying what they've tried in the past, what hasn't worked worked, uh, what their cycle is, because we all have that cycle that I was talking about earlier. So we have you know, the, uh, you have your last supper where you completely empty out all your cupboards, then you go on your diet and you follow it for 
whatever it is and you're restricted and you can't do, you know, you're not supposed to eat this and this food is bad and I'm not supposed to eat any carbs. And now I'm supposed to eat no fats and people don't know what to eat anymore anyway. So they go on their diet, they do that process. Um, they fall off, they go through the guilt, then they say, screw it. And they start, they tend to, again, start eating everything, fall off until the next new diet comes until the next new, you know, um, so I work with that. What is your cycle? What hasn't worked? And um, we try and interrupt the pattern, uh, come up with, um, again, I was saying earlier, no, no food rules, no dieting, and really get them to be in tune with their body. Um, so intuitive health is really what it is. So intuitive eating and intuitive exercising, because some people hate exercise. So we work with what do you hate about it? Is it the feeling some people don't like their heart rate? to go up, they actually have a lot of fear around that. So we work on their beliefs. It all comes down to the beliefs in the story in my head, right? When my heart rate goes up, that means it's a panicky feeling, like something's wrong. Um, I'm going to faint, I'm gonna pass out, I'm gonna have a panic attack. So working with their beliefs on that and that that's not true. Uh, and working with, a lot of people just hate exercise in general. So working with them and getting them, you know, starting out slowly and, getting them to enjoy the movement and, you know, recognizing what their body can do and how different they feel. Uh, again, we talked about that earlier, about the like, uh, part of it is journaling how you feel after a workout, right? How's your body moving? How's your digestion? How's all of that? So that's kind of the, the weight loss part. Um, yeah, just really working with the habits that they've formed and really trying to get them to form healthier habits that are sustainable, not the ups and downs, the all or nothing. It's more of something that's really works with their lifestyle, um, you know, how they can incorporate all of those things. And the big one is pleasure, because a lot of times when people give up food, which is a pleasure, they give up a lot of different pleasures in their life. So again, looking at where else are you restricting, you know, to make yourself all of the shoulds, you know, the tyranny of the shoulds. I I should be doing this, or I should be doing that. And people like to live in their heads, but coming up with something that works for them, what, you know, and a balance. So that's with that. And then, um, so those are the two areas I focus on. And then I focus on PMDD. Um, so that's a whole nother beast. That's like PMS on steroids. Uh, so where women literally, um, feel hopeless for about 10 days to two weeks of the month. Um, they're, I mean, it's hormonal, right? Uh, they get super fatigued, they go into depressive and then anxious and overwhelm. Again, the thoughts in their head, um, thoughts about themselves, thoughts mainly about their partner, their job, everything is hopeless. Um, they can become suicidal. So we work on developing you know, a completely different plan for them during that 10 days where they're really struggling. It's like they, they feel like they're living two lives. So helping them to understand that they do need to adjust their their life during that time and make it more manageable and be more kind to themselves and all of that. So that one's a beast. That's a really big project, but so yeah, those are typically the three things that I specialize in that people come to me for. So they each have a different plan. So nothing's, nothing's the same for any of them. It depends on what they're going through. Right. And how can people reach you? Um, so I have a website. So uh, renewcoach.ca. That is one way. Um, and then I also have a coaching platform now where it's actual coaching programs and there's actually a course on anxiety that you can do on your own. Um, so just developing, I know um, it's hard for people to a spend 10 to 20 weeks, which some anxiety, if you have major anxiety, that can help. That, that can be the treatment plan. So I've created um, a course that's much more affordable and like to fast track people to really give them tools a little bit quicker and something that they can do on their own. So that's um, infinitecoaching.ca. So renewcoach.ca or infinitecoaching.ca. And then of course, I'm on all the social media platforms, which you can find on the website. So That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So Maggie, how do people work with you? Well, we work in a very somatic kind of way. We work with the body. I really believe that, you know, the emotions that get caught in the body, since we were very young, we were taught to stop them. Stop them or project them. If they were uncomfortable emotions, you just stop them down and don't show that you're angry or else project it onto somebody else and, and, and have this blame going. And so I have a lot of people who are coming sometimes with physical diseases because if you stop it long enough, it becomes a physical dis-ease. And so they want to be able to release that dis-ease in the body. So that's where we start, is going right into the body. And 
even as people are telling their stories, I'll often say, well, just close your eyes because we get so used to telling a story that it just winds up the story and we're actually justifying it sometimes as we go round and round and round, unless we're not watching for the fact that we want to be releasing this and letting this story go. So when the eyes are closed, the feeling comes up and suddenly there's a big lump in the throat and, and that's when we start to do the somatic release work. And as I said, we work with breath and I also work with helping people to be able to, with the breath, really feel that infinite self. I love your infinite coaching. That's very cool, Deanna. Um, anyway, but the infinite self, the eternal self, because once we get into the hypnotherapy, that is when we start to have this eternal self, the same one that was there at three years old, we can, we can go, we can go anywhere. In fact, we go past lifetimes, we go to all kinds of uh, places when we get into the hypnotherapy to be able to release this from the root. So once we release it from the root, that breaks the chain and then that everything shifts. The current, the current situation will shift tremendously once that's been released. I also like to make sure that people have the tools for themselves to be able to, when they feel anxiety, you know, the, and this is a, just for anybody going through anxiety, this point right here, which is right across from your armpit and right in the center of the chest, is a fantastic point. It's called the sea of tranquility. And if I hold there and I breathe and I focus into my center of my heart and I stay in the body and I stay present, I can do a lot of release. So we work with different ways to release somatically, um, making different su suggestions once we have gone deeper into the subconscious to form new patterns. So that also happens. And of course, I love the communication circles, which actually arose because somebody said, well, Maggie, I get this. I get totally, I know how to talk with you. And I know how to express this with you. But I go home to my husband and it all falls apart. <laughs> I need some practice being able to work with these skills of speaking, being real, being me, being free from my heart to speak. And so that's the other thing. And sometimes people come to the communication circles are people who started uh, doing the private work. And sometimes they're people who just want to come and be able to find out what does my heart really want to share? Because that's, that's how the communication circles are so different than anything else out there that, and I've been teaching for 40 years. So, you know, it's different than anything that I've taught before. Because Quakers did it. And my ancestors were Quakers. The Quakers did that. Did the circles? And no one, there was no agenda and people only spoke when the spirit moved them. Well, that's a bit different. I mean, it is, it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing to build community um, in, in the circles. Everybody has an equal opportunity to express and to respond. And so there's some structure in terms of making sure that we get yeah. that nobody's going on too long so that we can all have our attention right there with uh, those people. And then we also learn to respond in a way that encourages others in our lives to speak. So it's an amazing relationship building tool that we get to practice and really people make such good friends. I have people who have told me that they just felt like they you know, never had a friend. And I have people from 17 to 81 in the circles. So they're all ages and it's not about, that's what I love the most actually, is that because it's a soul to soul kind of communication, it bypasses the restrictions around age. And it's delightful. It's my one of my favorite things in the world to do is, is to gather people and listen to what their heart wants to share, not what I want to teach them, what their heart wants to share. That's what they discover. So. Peggy, is it virtual right now? Are you doing this virtually or? I am. I'm doing it. I'm starting another one. I'm just finishing one up and I'm going to, so if people want, if you're interested in the circles, 
go on my website, but call me. Like I'm, I'm really an old fashioned kind of gal that way. I really like to talk on the phone. <laughs> and if you have any questions do, but there's also a lot of, there are testimonials and a description of the circles and of the work that I've been doing uh, with the somatic release and the hypnotherapy, etc. So I, and I'm always open for a phone call and I don't charge anybody if they just want to take some time to assess whether or not this is the work for them. So. And your, and your, and your website is? MaggieRay.com. Awesome. Just like my name, I think it's on there. M-A-G-G-I-E-R-E-I-G-H.com. Awesome. Yeah. You guys are awesome. This is a really wonderful evening. So I thoroughly enjoyed it. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Oh, I loved hearing other people's methodologies and what they've studied. And I'm very grateful for getting a chance to listen to you and get more information. So thank you. Yeah. Me too. I am equally grateful. I'm very grateful to you, Shauna, for putting this all together and for your dedication to be able to reach people and let them know, hey, mm -hmm. we've got help. Yeah. And it was it was a delight being with the the other panelists. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. No, I get such great feedback. People are really, as we know, kind of hurting. So they got they can see these videos and that kind of stuff. It's it's a gift you guys are sharing tonight. So thank you. Thank you. So we'll say goodbye to the people that are watching us. Thanks for watching. Bye. Bye.